0: Welcome to the LDS Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams. Today is a very different podcast. I've always wanted to have a guest like this. As a matter of fact, in 2020, I tried to have someone on my podcast who is a polygamist, but unfortunately, she did not want to come on, and that's okay. I had a Mormon fundamentalist, that's what he calls himself, a Mormon fundamentalist, on the show today. I thought we had a very heartfelt conversation. Now, I am not a fundamentalist. I am a mainstream member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Him and I did not always agree on things, as we discussed in the podcast, but we were respectful. And you know what? I thought we needed to have this conversation about fundamentalism, polygamy, because there's a major misconception about polygamists. I'm not for polygamy or against it. I think polygamy had its place. I think that there are good reasons why the church got rid of it. Will it come back? Well, I discussed in my opinion, I think it will, just my opinion only, not official church doctrine. I'm not going to speak for the church. But... We had the discussion, and I, the, one of the reasons I bought him on is because I think there's a very big misconception about polygamists. Not all the polygamists are like Warren Jepps. Contrary to what you might think, there's a lot of polygamists out there, a lot of polygamous women that work. There's a lot of polygamous women that do not wear the dresses and have the old-fashioned hairdos. No, there's uh, many polygamous women that look normal. We're going to get into that in this podcast And, you know, if the podcast goes on for more than an hour, I usually split it up. I didn't do that this time because I felt like everything needed to be in its proper order. So enjoy the podcast. I think it was a very heartfelt conversation. We did not always agree, but we had a lot of respect. And I actually consider David Sanders, the renegade Mormon, a good friend of mine. In fact, next the next time I'm in Salt Lake City or near there, I hope that we can meet up and have some good conversations. Now, David Sanders does a podcast called Mormon Renegade. That's Mormon Renegade, and you can find it on wherever you get, wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple, all those places. But you can also find it on the web at mormonrenegade.com. That's M-O-R-M-O-N-R-E-N-E-G-A-D-E dot com. Let's get on with the podcast. I learned an awful lot. And like I said, it was a very heartfelt conversation. And you know what? I found David Sanders and I agree probably about 80, possibly... 90% of the time on things. Let me just rephrase it. I thought that I think we agree about 80% on 80% of things. So, in other words, we agree 80% of the time, maybe even 90%, somewhere around there. So, that's pretty good. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. It is Monday, January 23rd, 2023. This is the first podcast of 2023. I'm Kevin Williams, podcasting to you from Billings, Montana. This is the LDS Live podcast. We have a readily different podcast today. We have a fundamentalist Mormon on the show. We're going to use the word Mormon and Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints interchangeably on this podcast. Uh, because he calls himself, what do you call yourself? A fundamentalist Mormon or a fundamentalist member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints?
1: Uh, definitely a Mormon fundamentalist.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to use that term then. Um, okay, so, yeah. And I I've always wanted to have somebody on here like this. I actually tried to get a polygamist on back in 2020, back in September, but unfortunately she didn't want to come on. So, but I think we have a pretty good guest here. David Sanders is my guest and he has the Mormon Renegade podcast. And uh, David, why don't we just tell you, Oh, should we use your name on the podcast? Yeah, that's, you're just fine. You're good. Okay. So let's just step back up here. You were born and raised in Western Idaho And I'm not too far from you as far as originally born and all those things. I used to live in Boise when I was 11 till, Mm -hmm. what, 18? So you don't live, you didn't live pretty far from me. And then I was born and raised in Eastern Oregon. And so let's, uh, let's start out this. Is there anything about your childhood that stands out to you? You know, probably the thing that stands out the most
1: is, uh, just uh, probably my when my dad passes is when I really start looking for God. Right at mm-hmm. at about 13, 14 years old, we weren't particularly religious in my household, and by particularly, I mean at all. Mm-hmm. Um, my my mom was a uh, was uh, kind of non denominational. My dad was uh, was a Southern Baptist, I believe. Uh, just by birth but we weren't really religious there was always talk of God in the house but yeah not really religious so my dad who was just he was a great dad he really was I I I know plenty of young men who struggled with their relationships with their fathers and fortunately I never had that Uh, my, my relationship with my dad was always solid so when he passed it left a pretty big hole and it left me kind of wondering for questions about you know what happens to a good person who maybe doesn't say the magic words on their deathbed of they accept Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it, it left a lot of answers and that's, that's really what got me looking at religion overall.
0: I have to ask, uh, partly because you and I are from the same area. Mm-hmm. Did you ever listen to any Christian radio stations when you were a teenager? Cause there are some pretty good ones, uh, you know, they, they're not of our belief, but they're pretty good. I'm thinking of two in particular.
1: So I I did kind of listen to them a little bit. Um, but really, I got soured on Christian religion mm-hmm. when I was about 14, 15, if, if memory serves. And you may remember this, Kevin. You remember in a little town called Payette, there was a pastor oh, yeah. who faked his own death
0: yes back in 1992 wasn't it
1: i think so that would be about right yeah, was wasn't about it around after january
0: of 92 yep yep that's yeah, exactly right i do remember so that i i Gosh, went I'd forgotten all about it i his name was jim
1: kent i'll never yep. forget it and if you need to edit out the name later that's that's fine but my mom in an attempt to to help instill religion because she could see i was looking she's like well why don't we go here we know some people that go there and so we went there and then come to find out that this pastor faked his own death, tried to fake his own death, um, had, I can't remember what all he had done, but I think there was some infidelity involved. And so really by the time I'm about 14, 15 years old, I'm like, well, I don't think, I don't think quote, orthodox Christianity really held any anything for me. Cause it just left a real sour taste in my mouth. I mean, that was a guy who, you know, I sat with for quite a while as he was like, uh, you know, God has all the answers and, and, you know, you can always turn to him. And so I just, and now as an adult, uh, 45 years old, I understand that he was doing his job and he was probably ministering to me the best he could. But at, at 15, that just left a complete sour taste in my mouth as far as organized christian religion so that that kind of soured me on on like
0: christian pastors and and that sort of thing do you know what happened to him after he faked his own death was he still a pastor what happened gosh i'd forgotten all about it thanks for the reminder so if i if memory serves and and don't quote me on this this is
1: all just from my mind you know off the top of my head trying to remember if i'm not mistaken he wound up in texas somewhere and i think he ended up becoming a co-pastor again but again those those details are fuzzy so
0: okay and you don't know how they found out that he faked his own death or any of that well i think uh
1: I think because he wasn't a career criminal, you know, he probably didn't do a real good job. And cause you hear things in a little town, right? Yeah. You know, you, you go to school with somebody whose dad's a cop and he's like, I don't know, this looks fishy. I, you know, my dad was saying that they think he's faking his own death. So really before it was official, we had a pretty good idea of those, you know, in, in the little town itself that he had, uh, he had went ahead and faked his own death. So any
0: reason why he did that?
1: Now don't, and again, I, I, you know, I'm not even going to speculate because I don't want to, to cast dispersion on somebody that I don't have firsthand information. So, yeah. and, and trying to remember, you know, the, the human mind is not always great at recalling details from 30 plus years ago. So.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so the bottom line is this guy faked his death. And since then, or, you know, until, so at some point you were pretty soured towards religion because of this incident.
1: Yeah. So for about three years, I, I, I got this idea that, okay, organized religion probably doesn't have anything for me because of that incident with, uh, with that Nazarene pastor. So I started looking, and this is something that served me well later in life, Kevin. I started looking more at principles, right? Let's see what, Let's see what Christ actually says in the New Testament. Let's mm-hmm. see what some very astute scholars uh, that that have some cred, so to speak, let's see what they have to say about this. And I'm talking about going back a long ways, right? Reformer yeah. era kind of, kind of folks. And so I, I really got away from this idea. I knew there had to be a God. I, I don't know why I instinctively felt that. Maybe some conversations my dad and I had. Um, but I didn't know where he was, right? I didn't know that if he had a church or a set of beliefs for people. And so I'm just trying to collect in, in that, at that point in my life, I'm just trying to collect all the best teachings that were available. Right. And so I, I focused more on principle and less on religion, if that makes any sense. Yeah.
0: And that would later serve me very well going down the road. Yeah. So what happened then? So obviously you had a change of heart, I guess somewhat, and Mm -hmm. then you got introduced to the LDS faith. How did all that come about? Yeah. So, um, I met my wife and she was an
1: inactive member of the LDS church.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, uh, I remember we were about, gosh, I want to say we were about three months away from our wedding. And, uh, she, uh, she just said, look, um, I want to, I want our kids to be, to be raised Mormon. I said, well, I, I don't have any problem with that. Some of my best designated drivers in high school were Mormon. Um, I think, I I think that's, you know, great. That's, that's good. And she's like, do you want to know more about it? And I was like, absolutely not. I was like, I've searched high and low and I don't think, you know, not drinking coffee is going to suddenly enlighten me. (laughs) So I was kind of snarky about the whole thing, to be honest with you, Kevin. Yeah. But, but I, uh, yeah. So at first I said no, and then eventually she came back to me and she said, you know, it would mean it would really mean a lot to my mom if you would uh, if you would take the discussions. And so I'm like, okay, it's going to make her life easier, which in turn will probably make my life easier down the road. So let's just take the discussions, but it was with a very strong caveat, Kevin. Which was if anybody asked me to be baptized, to join the church, we're done. We're done. We're not, because I'm not going down that road. I I had my mind made up that that organized religion didn't hold any of the answers for me that I needed. So I remember we had, I had a set of elders. One was from East Texas, his name was Elder Peruka. And then uh, another missionary from Russia named uh, Elder Ananich, and um, I remember I went, I had to go to my mom's house to take the discussion, I mean, excuse me, I had to go to my wife's mother's house to take the discussions, because my mom just wasn't having any of it, and uh, she, and so um, I take the first discussion, this is back before, you know, uh, Preach My Gospel was around, this was oh yeah, 1995, yep, so that. So yeah. everything's very, very structured. You get a little pamphlet, that you get your missionary version of the Book of Mormon, and then you do some reading and you follow this lesson plan that's there. So it was very, very structured. Yeah. So I uh, we we take the I take the first discussion, and of course, in those days, one of the first things they have you go to and read is. Uh, um, you know, Moroni's promise there where he, you know, basically says, if you pray about this with true intent, the Lord will, will answer you. Mm-hmm. And so to be honest with you, Kevin, I was pretty disingenuous through that whole first discussion. I was just going along to get along, right?
0: Yep. And As so, we usually do with women but, that we're dating. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes. my My
1: wife at the time is... I want to say she's almost 20 and I had just turned 18. So I was young, okay. but I, I grew up a lot quicker than a lot of guys my age, because when my dad died, I had to really step up and, and help my mom as the oldest. So while most kids were working just for play money, I was I was kind of working and going to school to help put food on the table. I was responsible to get my younger siblings to bed. So I wasn't your typical 18 year old in 1995.
0: Where did you go to college? If you, uh, you don't have to say if you don't want to
1: a little community college in Eastern Oregon.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So I, I I went over there, but um, anyway, so um, back to the story, I take that first discussion and I'm just not terribly impressed whatsoever. Kevin, Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah okay i got i think there were six discussions right i'm like yeah you yep, gotta yep. sit through five more of these and then i've checked the boxes and then the elders will go their way and i know that the church will always be in the periphery because my wife wants to take our kids and i'm gonna make the token appearance but let's just get through this uh-huh. but my wife and her mom had a trip planned they they were like hey we're gonna we're gonna go Uh, up to McCall for, for the weekend, a nice long weekend, just a girl's weekend. And I'm thinking, well, that's great because I'm going to just do what I always do, which is go camping and fishing. Yep. So I got home, I unloaded all my gear out of my, my bag, right. All my extra clothes and stuff. Cause I just stayed the night when we had those discussions and then I throw all my crap for, you know, camping into this other duffel into that same duffel bag And I head down to the river and I had this really secluded spot along the snake river there in Western Idaho that separates Idaho and Oregon. And it took about an hour to hike back. But once I was there, there was a section of the river that kind of uh, channeled off a little bit and created this little eddy and you'd have catfish and bass that would go in there and feed. And unlike the rest of the snake river, because this, this river, this little section where it had kind of, um, oh, I don't know, re-diverted itself, this little slough that came in there. A lot of the, the debris from the Snake River would get filtered out before it came in there. So it was really pretty clear water for, for the Snake River. And so I'd always been able to go down there and, and catch my limit, so to speak, right? Yeah. So I didn't take any food with me. Uh, all I took was some lemons, a pepper some salt, some tinfoil, and some butter, just enough to, you know, fry up some fish, basically.
0: How and, long did you stay there when you would go fishing?
1: Oh, a couple days.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: A couple days in the summer. Oh, wow. I would go down there, and I, I'd be down there one or two days. Oh, okay. I, I would hike back out. but And it was, like I said, it wasn't a tremendously far away, but it was about a 45-minute hike, right? And yeah. I knew it was pretty secluded because... I could put my fire out like late fall and then come back in the spring and it just wouldn't be disturbed. Right. It, it was pretty much as I left it.
0: So nobody, must, how, nobody must have found out about it, but you.
1: Right. Right. Or if they did, nobody paid much attention. And how did right? you
0: find out about it? Uh, <laughs>
1: okay. This is going to give you some pretty good insight about what kind of kid I was during those days. I was okay. pretty rowdy. This was a, a year or so before I met my wife. I I got uh, I got pretty liquored up one night and was in a friend's boat and happened to discover it. Oh, okay, so, so <laughs> that, that 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 just kind of paints the picture for you of what yeah who I, who I was in those days. Yeah, so that's kind of how I discovered it, and and I could always mark it because there was this one tree, and it really wasn't a tree; it was more like just a a trunk that was left over that would be leaned over, and from that that, uh, that, the, the, that trunk of that tree that stuck, stuck up. I knew I was about 50 yards from where, where the, uh, where the the fishing spot was.
0: I wonder what would happen if you went there today. Oh,
1: I know for a fact that the trail that I used to access to get in there has been gated off and shut down. Oh man. Oh, well, I know. I know. I'm pretty bummed. So anyway, I head down there. Now, when I leave my place, it's you know it's about seven eight o'clock I guess because by the time I get down there the sun is just really starting to set so I get my tent set up I get my sleeping bag rolled out I get a fire started I throw my line in the water and nothing happens now I can hear the fish coming to the surface I can see them but they're not biting at all, which was unusual because normally no. I could, I could drop my line in there and pull it out, pull out a fit, you know, a bass or a, a catfish in gosh, I, no more than 10 or 15 minutes. Right. I mean, yeah, but this night, nothing happened, nothing. So by the time I realize I'm going to go hungry, It's dark. Hiking out really isn't an option, right? Because there's a few stretches that have some pretty, uh, that, that aren't marked real well by a path, right? You got to cut through some pasture and there's a lot yep. of divots and I know better than than to try to do it. So my thought is, is okay, I'm going to sit here tonight uh, and then first first light in the morning, I'll pack up and head out and get something to eat. So as I'm sitting by the fire, pretty dejected and pretty pissed off, I remember I just happened to glance out of the corner of my eye and I had forgot to remove the Book of Mormon out
0: of my bag. Oh, how convenient. So
1: I was like, well, I'm not doing anything else. Right. So I kind of flipped through the the pamphlet again and I re- read Moroni's promise and I'm like, you know, it it reads like the Bible. Right. I, I don't know yeah. what else uh, to say about it. So I kind of put the book down, and I wait another twenty minutes. I'm like, I'm not doing anything else. Let's just thumb through this thing. And honestly, I was looking for things I could trip the missionaries up with. Not yeah. like I was that intelligent at that age to actually find anything to trip them up with, but that was my thought. So I start. Uh, let's be
0: through. honest. I I probably would have too. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I start thumbing through, and I stop at the story of Abinadi. Oh. And I read that and that hits me really, really hard for some reason. I don't know why, but it hits me really hard. And so I decide that, okay, I will, I'll pray now because I'm feeling something. And so I just kind of kneel down and I say a prayer. Now there's not a, a vision and or anything like that. Right. But yeah. there is an overwhelming feeling that I have never, I'd never felt before in all the years I had searched that th- the gospel is true. And this will, this will come into importance later in my story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause I, I actually wrote, wrote this down the night it happened. Okay. Um, I prayed to know if the gospel was true, not so much the church. Uh huh. And so I, I get the answer, and, and it's overwhelming, and it's, it's a feeling that that I just can't shake. And now I know that God knows, and so I'm on shaky ground here, right? But in my silly eighteen year old mind, I'm like. I still got him and I got him because I told every, I told those missionaries and I told the, the, at this time, it was a stake mission leader. I told the stake mission leader, you know? Yeah. I do not ask me to be baptized because we will be done right then. So I told God in the, in those moments by the river, I was like, look, if you want me to be baptized, you're going to have to inspire one of them to ask me. Yeah. And so I kind of felt like I was still I still had something in play to keep me from not being a Mormon. Look, I'm not out there jockeying to be a Mormon, right? I'm pretty happy or I think I'm pretty happy with the way my life is situated at that
0: point. Um yeah, sounds like you had a lot going for you.
1: Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I mean as
0: as far well, as far as being more mature,
1: right. The, yeah. Right. I, I wasn't looking for that kind of change. I was fairly set on this idea of, you know, religion. Organized religion has it all wrong. Principles are what I'm after. Um, and and you know that. So I was really content going down that road. And so, uh, the next week we have another discussion. And. Now, Elder Ananich, he's, he's fresh on his mission, so he doesn't speak English hardly at all.
0: And this is the guy from Russia?
1: Yep, this okay. is the guy from Russia. So he doesn't speak hardly any English. I mean, he says, hi, thank you, that sort of stuff, right? Very cursory yep. uh, understanding of the language. Uh-huh. And I remember all the way through that lesson, that discussion, that elder from russia elder ananich would not stop staring at me and i oh, remember wow. at one point i was like and not just like a subtle stare right this is like just looking at you hard and i just remember thinking no wonder the kgb was so effective
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah right? yeah so I, I was, was going to say if somebody did that to me i i would think are you a stalker or something
1: right i was i was a little unnerved um, yeah i would be and we were we were halfway through the discussion and all of a sudden sudden elder ananich reached over to elder peruca and put his hand on his knee and just looked at me and asked me if i would be baptized
0: now where and was he, elder Peruka from east texas
1: oh okay and so all of a sudden you you kind of got the 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 vibe of the room kind of shifted, right? You could tell everyone got real uncomfortable. And, uh, I, I just, I had to admit I'd been had, right. I was like, yeah, I guess I will. And so that was it. That's how I, I converted to, to Mormonism and how I joined the LDS church. And then from there, my wife and I got married. Uh, then we ended up getting sealed in the temple. Um, I was, you know, held various callings throughout my time in the LDS church, uh elders quorum president. Uh
0: I have uh, to ask you though, since you converted at 18, did anybody ask you about going on a mission because that's a that's a big deal. That uh, at least it was no, back then still is.
1: No, I no and and that goes to where I joined the church at which was a little <sighs> it was a a ward that was in real rural area. So Uh people knew me pretty well. Right. And understood that I was pretty in love with my wife and there was no way I was going to put that on hold for two years. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, I, uh, I end up converting and we just, yeah, we go through the temple. We hold various callings in the church and, yeah, everything goes goes along according to the plan so to speak for about 12 or 15 years.
0: Okay. And then what happened? Then then <laughs> then the uh
1: then the floodgates open as far as really learning a lot about the restored gospel more than what is typically talked about in a um oh in in your typical Sunday school class
0: and so you started learning about this 15 years later
1: yeah it was about 12 okay. or 15 years later now i did have some cursory knowledge of some of these things because when i tried to join the lds church my mom got really upset and she's like well let me talk to to my pastor and see what he has to say and so they slammed me with a bunch of quotes from the uh, the journal of discourses. So I was still gonna join because I feel like I had my answer, right? But I also wanted some answer to some of these questions and these quotes that I'm reading by Brigham Young and John Taylor, and you know, the old the old guard, right? Yeah. So um I, I did have kind of and unfortunately there was an old stake patriarch where we lived who would just spend hours with me talking to me about some of these deeper doctrines so i did have kind of a cursory, in idaho yep okay yep. so i did have kind of a cursory understanding of some of these things but not i was by no means a scholar or anything like that in it but i i knew that they existed mm-hmm. so let's see that was 95 so then uh, we moved out to that other area in about 2007, if I'm not mistaken. So what is that? That's that's about 12, 12 years. 12 years. Yep. Yeah,
0: approximately.
1: <laughs> now, in that 12 years, Amber and I, my wife, we had went, we had moved clear out to Maryland for a little while, a few spots in between. So we, we'd, we'd been around a little bit and we'd seen some
0: things. So let me ask you this. When you converted... It sounds like Amber was more inspired to get activated. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, I think I think the prospect of having kids and raising those kids, she felt like um, that would be a great place for our kids to go and get some additional teachings on morals and ethics, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, yeah. And, and, and look, and, and here's the other thing I want to make clear, right? I enjoyed my time in the LDS church. It's not like I was, uh, it's not like that I'm bitter t- towards the church for any one thing or anything like that. I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah. So, I, I want to get that out of the way r- right now. But, um, so now we get to the part where fundamentalism starts comes into into play in in my life and in my wife's life i get wind in about 2000s late 2006 early 2007 that uh, the 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 economy is not as healthy as what we thought it was on a on the surface
0: yep i remember that um especially in 2008 yeah yeah. So
1: this is late 2006, early 2007. Yep. And I am part owner of a land development business, right? It uh-huh. Had engineers, surveyors, architects, landscape architects, the, the whole thing. And in the space of one year, we added three crews. Now to add a crew, you were talking about approximately $150,000 in salary. Buying another truck, buying the equipment that is right around, by the time you outfit the truck and with, with all the survey equipment, you're looking at, at close to another probably 125000 right? So it's a big investment to bring on yep. another crew. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, and, and forgive me for, for veering off, but it is part of the story. I just remember thinking, this just doesn't feel right. Right, this doesn't make any sense. I had a good friend who worked for what used to be Academy Mortgage.
0: Now, when you say this doesn't make any sense, are you talking about the bad economy or what?
1: I'm talking about the economy growing so quickly. Okay, in those days. Okay. So I I tracked down a good friend who used to work for Academy Mortgage, and I just asked him, you know, what's happening with the economy, and he he kind (laughs) of. I'll never forget it over lunch. He gets kind of white when I ask him that question, like all the the blood left his face and he, he got a little nervous and he started to tell me about toxic mortgages and how the process was working. And I step out of that that lunch I had with him absolutely convinced that the economy was coming down. So I go back to my partners and I say, look, here's the scenario. I don't think we should hire anymore. In fact, I think we need to start tightening our belts because something bad is coming. And I tell them what I'd learned and they they kind of laughed me off. But I was convinced enough that yeah. and, and I felt like I'd received a little bit of a spiritual witness about it when I prayed about it. And so I, uh, I just told my partners, I was like, then buy me out buy me out, which they did. They bought me out. And with that money that I got from the buyout, I bought a house and about five acres back out in Western Idaho. Okay. Um, And, uh, bought this little house. Um, and then, I mean, just pretty much paid cash for it. Um, and then just started to fix it up. Right. I converted the garage into living space added another um, a garage, a shop, a, a separate shop, and, and just really went to town on that and did little surveys for farmers out there. But by and large, I was just, you know, I, I was trying to position myself that in the worst case scenario, I could go bag groceries and we could make it okay, right? Yeah. If it, if it came down to
0: that. So I assume you probably grew quite a bit of your own food at this time.
1: Did, yeah. We had a huge garden okay. at this at this time we have all six of our kids. Uh, my kids hated the garden, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had a garden and we had, we had, you know, some fruit trees and that sort of stuff and some grapes, but we, we move out there and it's pretty secluded. Right. I mean, yeah, I don't have neighbors around me for like 1300 feet, except for one house. That's literally about 120 feet away from me. And, uh we'll just call her carol on here yeah um carol was a divorcee and my wife and carol became very good friends carol had a couple of kids and um as as amber and carol grew closer amber would ask you know tell me hey you know carol needs such and such done or whatever over at her house so I'd go over and I would do whatever I'd have to do.
0: So I take yeah. it. Was Carol a single mom then?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yep. And so I would go over there and I would kind of, you know, do whatever it was I needed to do. a defense, fix a rototiller, whatever it was. Right. Yeah. And now keep in mind, Kevin, I moved into this little ward and immediately I get put in as, as elders corn president. Okay. Wow. and and one day I remember I'm just working on stuff, and Carol brought out uh, like a a glass of water for me, and I just I'm like uh, I'm starting you know I I started to kind of develop feelings and it worried me right so I like split. oh yeah it I worry me too I take my covenants very 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 seriously. Yeah, I'm not looking to screw around whatsoever. Mm
0: -hmm. The
1: thought of hurting my wife is a feeling I never want to have, Kevin, ever. So uh, I want to make it clear to whoever's listening that it's not like I developed feelings for somebody else and then was looking to try to justify it. I, yeah. I split and I start making excuses not to go over there, right? I'm like, oh gosh, I got to go help a buddy do this. I got to go do this survey or I got to go down to the county and do records research for a survey I got to do or any number of things I could do not to be around as much, right? So that I'm, I'm safeguarding myself. I'm keeping my distance, um Amber and Carol though are still really good friends. Amber and Carol are are co-teachers together in primary. And Oh. And so, you know, it wasn't uncommon for them to get together and just hang out because, you know, they had to prepare lessons or the kids would be playing together or whatever the case was. So, um time goes by, I would say another couple months, and one of the things I'd done in 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 our backyard, which was a huge field was I built this really nice patio area with a really nice fire pit. And so every so often Carol and her kids would come over and we would roast uh, hot dogs and, and marshmallows and, and whatever. And, and the kids would play and then we would just sit around the fire and talk. And, um, we were talking, um, about, uh, this this was when things were starting to really go dark and and they'd been going dark for a while but it was now getting media attention down there with the flds in arizona
0: oh yeah
1: and so we're going to talk
0: about that later uh, as far okay. as relating it to your story but go ahead yeah.
1: yeah but so this is about the time it's getting really kind of dark down there right um, more media coverage. And you can tell that, that Warren Jeffs is an absolute dirtbag of the highest order. And so, um, we're kind of talking about that and I'm like, yeah, this is going to give, give us a black guy and we're going to have to work hard to, you know, get this stereotype away from us again, us being Mormons. Right. Yeah. And I said, and and who would ever live that way? And Carol said, well, I have some family who are fundamentalists, not FLDS, but they're independent fundamentalists, and there's a real sweet spirit in their home. And uh, at, at that point, I'm like, Ooh, look at the time. I got to go to bed.
0: Right. <laughs> so I just. <laughs> yeah. I'm, the, like, I'm sure the conversation made you feel very uncomfortable. Made me feel very uncomfortable. So yeah. I, like,
1: I like, Ooh, got a survey to do in the morning. I'll see everyone then. And I just head off to bed. And kind of, you know, not even gave it a second thought. And and I should probably mention too, Carol was a few years older than I was at that time. I want to say she was, I was in my mid thirties and I believe she was in her early forties. So, um, so yeah, I just head to bed. I forget all about it. A couple weeks go by and Amber and I are getting ready for bed. And just out of the blue, Amber asked me, she said, if plural marriage ever comes back, do you think you'd ever take Carol as a wife? And you're probably old. Yeah. That puts you on the spot. Right. Kevin, you remember the old. Did you feel
0: like you were being accused of something?
1: No, no, it wasn't that kind of tone. By that time, you know, I'd been married to Amber 12 or 13 years, right? So I got a pretty good idea of what her tones are. And I'm, I, but I will say this, you remember like, uh, that old show lost in space.
0: Uh, no, I don't think so.
1: Okay. All right. There was a robot on there when things would get kind of dicey, the robot would be like danger, danger, Will Robinson. I felt just like that. I'm like, be very careful how you answer. This is a trap. Right. (laughs) And so, yeah uh i just i basically said look you know that's a, that's a hypothetical you know i i don't like dabbling in those i got enough to worry about yeah i don't you know whatever i don't think whatever i just kind of say look at the time i got to go to bed so i go to sleep that night and next morning i get up i do a survey i forget that we even have the conversation and then one afternoon i get home from doing a survey and i'll never forget the day because i i had to march through like three different cornfields and as as any farmer can tell you there is no place more humid than a cornfield in july right because the water just sticks around in the soil and it just swelters and i remember i got home and i was in no mood to have a conversation about anything Yeah. I was sweaty. I was hot. I was tired. I was a little grumpy. And uh, I walk in and Amber and Carol are uh, reading their scriptures, which again, wasn't unusual because they were, they were co-teachers. And uh, Amber says, David, come here. I want you to read something. I was like, okay. So she takes me into the doctrine and covenants and she says, what does this section say? Just read it. I was like, verily thus saith the lord she's like that's enough and then she flips to another one she's like what's that one saying i said verily verily thus saith the lord she's like okay and then she goes all we do this one or two more times and then she goes to the manifesto and she says what does that say and i said to whom it may concern and she said and and i'll never forget this as long as i live because it's the only time i'd ever seen my wife doubt anything as far as the the church went and she said i can't hear the voice of the lord in this and okay i have to kind of agree with her right i mean if you read the manifesto versus any of the other revelations in the doctrine and covenants it's an entirely different voice
0: well, let, this... let me say something about that, though, and I don't want to disrespect you or anything, no. but I, oh, I take that as Wilfred Woodruff was writing to the government, not so much the church itself, because remember, Utah was trying to become a state and ultimately ended up being a state. One of the things that they had to do is outlaw polygamy. Now, we could argue— and this is where you and I differ, and that's fine. I, I actually am glad you're on the podcast because I think we need to discuss these matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I wonder. I don't. I, in my opinion, I don't think polygamy was going to be around forever. I think that there was going, based on what I've read about it, even in the Book of Mormon. I think it was going I don't think it was supposed to be a forever thing. Now, having said that, I wonder just how much longer the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter day Saints, would have practiced polygamy if it wasn't for the federal government saying, Oh, you can't do this anymore. Okay I, I wonder. But go yeah. So what let, what, let what me do you...
1: let me push back on that gently okay. here, Kevin.
0: And so, again, uh, we we need to have a discussion. Like we're going to be respectful. Go ahead. Right.
1: Right. Absolutely. I. So so again, th- just like you said, this is not an attack. Right. I I don't want you to feel that way.
0: Oh no, not at all.
1: But y- you have to argue that with Brigham Young and John Taylor, that point of plural marriage wasn't going to be around forever.
0: Uh mm-hmm. huh.
1: So when when we start talking about what the Lord's intent is, right? Let's go get it from the men themselves, right? Joseph, Brigham, John Taylor, they tend to have a very different opinion of whether it was going to be around forever. So much so that John Taylor actually produces, I shouldn't say produces, receives the 1886 revelation, which even the most Ardent um, defenders of this. Are idea. you talking
0: about the? Th- oh, yeah, that was the one that was written in the Millennial Star back in the day, wasn't it?
1: Uh, I can't remember if it was or not, but it's it's been authenticated even by those who don't want it to be authentic, right? Yeah. But basically, and this is a thus saith the Lord, Revelation, right? And and I'm happy to produce that for you, so you can put that up in the show notes. Okay, But it is a a very clear, thus saith the Lord revelation, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's the same voice that's there in 99% of the Doctrine and Covenants. And in there, the Lord tells John Taylor, stand your ground. Know that I'm God and I will fix this. But you have to stay true to these principles that have been revealed to you through Joseph. So I think I think this idea that that this was just going to be a passing fad, I don't think passes muster based on everything I get out of early church writings.
0: Yeah, the, well, the other thing and again, I I, I think it's good to discuss here. Um, the other thing, though, and this is just my personal opinion, Um. Some would say, okay, polygamy, back to what you said, the, the you know, talk to the men themselves, yeah. What if, just to play devil's advocate, what if God said, okay, you don't want this, you want to become a state, we're going to let you do what you want, just as God said to Samuel, no more, no kings, well, what did he do? He allowed them to have kings, even though it went completely against what the Lord told Samuel in the Old Testament. Well, it, you're kind of proving my point here a little bit because what happened to Israel
1: after after they did that?
0: Well, they they eventually got kings, and they they was they became wicked. The people became wicked, and so did the government. Exactly. So, what happens when we don't listen to the Lord, Kevin?
1: yeah the same thing exactly so regardless whether the people wanted it or not and and i agree with you on the point that i think that there were probably quite a few who didn't want to live it but rather than than allow people to make that decisions for themselves and still be within within the lds church the lds church just said fine we won't do it at all but you don't get the choice of of um the
0: consequences that follow. Mm -hmm. Now, one more thing. I know, uh, and I'm sorry I didn't have time to read it today. I've been very busy. But Jacob in the Book of Mormon talks about polygamy as though we shouldn't have had it. Now, that's the impression I got out of reading it. And obviously, I think polygamy had a place. I think there was good reasons why we had polygamy. Uh, what would you say to that? I think you can definitely make a case that it's it's
1: dispensational, right? That that maybe there were times when it wasn't lived. Mm-hmm. But if this is the dispensation of the fullness of times, mm-hmm. as Joseph said it was, and if that's a true principle, like Joseph said it was, should or shouldn't it not be there?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a valid question that... Uh you've got to figure out for yourself. Yeah.
1: And the other question I would ask is this, if we're so staunchly opposed to it, why do we still allow men to be sealed to more than one wife after a wife passes?
0: Well, that's why I believe, and this is just my personal opinion, I know that there are people who will swear up and down, very good friends of mine, they will swear up and down, polygamy is never coming back. Oh man, you should hear some of my female friends. I will never, ever, 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 ever practice polygamy. I can't imagine my husband being married to more than one wife. They go off, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. In Second Nephi, it talks about seven women to one man. Now has that been fulfilled, or is that yet to be fulfilled? And to your point, you're sealed to more than one woman in some cases, and it'll all be worked out in the eternities. I know that there's cases where the uh, second wife and the husband did not get along, and that'll all be sorted out. We don't know what, but let's just say the, the two wives that the husband married got along really good with the husband and got sealed. That tells me, in my personal opinion, take it with a grain of salt, uh, listeners and uh, David, but in my personal opinion, I think the church is going to have to reinstall, uh, reinstall, reinstate polygamy, just based on some of the scripture that I have read. My personal opinion. I I think you're right. The question is: is
1: are they going to do it? Right? Which way are they going to head? I have a feeling. I I think. I think I know which way they're going to head, but um, yeah. I mean, I, I think if, if they're honestly seeking the truth, I think that's
0: got to come back into play at some point. But, yeah. Well, look at two. How wicked is this world getting? Mm-hmm. And let's be honest. We're, we're taking a side note here, but I think this is important to discuss. Um, my, I believe polygamy served its place. But let's let's just be honest. About, my mother was an excellent mom really good I'm not just saying that because I'm a podcaster and I gotta praise my mom. no I had a very close relationship with my mom especially when I was little and uh, into my early 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 20s before she passed away. I'm talking 2021-22 20, mm-hmm. um I think of all the times my dad was an engineer and he worked for a huge company out of Oregon. And because of that, he was gone a lot all over the country. Even back in Pennsylvania, the company I'm sure you're familiar with, Stakem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, the company he worked for bought that out. And so oh. he was in Pennsylvania quite often doing tech support, okay. engineering, real heavy engineering. I'm not talking about tech support through the computer. Right. I'm talking about tech support. Oh, the machine's wrong. Oh, I got to jump on an airplane and fix it. I'll be back in a few days. See you later. Yeah. Now my, God, my dad was gone for a week, then he'd come back, and then he'd be gone. Sometimes he was even gone on weekends. I think about that. My mom was raising five of us kids at the time, and I remember being just a little kid in kindergarten. Not only that, but she was going to college. I don't know how she pulled it off. I really don't, but I can't. Sometimes I wonder, and this is just my opinion. I I don't want to teach doctrine here because this is just one man's opinion. What would it have been like if my parents were, if the church told my parents to practice polygamy and there was somebody there, another woman helping my mom? Now, gosh, let's pray to God, we would all get along. That's another dicey subject we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. But I wonder about that sometimes. Yeah, it, and that's why, look at how wicked this world is getting. That's why I think it's going to have to come back, in my opinion.
1: I'll just share a story with you Yeah, about my experience while living plural marriage. Yeah. That... um That I think illustrates the point. And to be fair, uh, my marriage to Carol did fail,
0: and we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, folks, we're we're getting sidetracked, but I think this is an important discussion, though.
1: Yeah. So here, here's what else. Here's the story that I'll share with you, or the account. I loved athletics. I still do. I'm a huge football fan. Um, Sure. I played in kind of a a city league in in Boise during this time. Um, I was an avid golfer. And I remember there was one summer afternoon. I'm guessing it was mid-July. And uh, I was just at the grill, and I was was smoking a brisket. And I, I remember I saw Amber and Carol off talking and kind of laughing and giggling and having a good time. And I saw all the kids playing. And I'm just taking this scene in and all of a sudden, everything that has happened up to that point begins to come, come to my mind, Kevin, um, how Amber cares for Carol's kids when am, when Carol had something to do and Carol cared for me and Amber's kids while I was at work and Amber had to do something. Yeah. And the, the kids were always taken care of. And I've asked my now adult children, what do you remember of those times? And my oldest daughter had probably the most profound statement that I'd heard her made on this subject. She said, dad, when we were living, when, when you and mom were living plural marriage and Carol was involved, there was another, it, it felt more stable. Interesting. And she said, not, not that you guys were ever unstable when it was just the two of you, but we knew there was somebody else, too. Um, and to kind of go along with that, as I'm sitting there at the grill and I'm remembering all this, I'm like, I haven't been golfing in a year. I gave up football because I'm so busy now. And I don't care because this is so much better. This is so much better. Interesting. Um, I remember he, he was my eight-year-old at that time. I was home. Carol had just gotten home. Amber was, I think she was down visiting her mom and, um, my son really banged himself up on the, on his bike and I was trying to patch him up. And I remember he just stopped as I had him kind of plopped up on the, the, the bathroom sink as I'm, I'm sprucing him up or doing, I thought I was doing a really good job, Kevin. I, I really did. And I just remember he just put his hand on my shoulder. He's like, dad, I think Carol's home. I'm just going to go over there. She knows what she's doing. And oh, then he no. takes off. So, I mean. Did she have essential oils? I don't think she had essential oils, but I think oh, because oh, she man. was a mom, she was just better at yeah. it than I was, right?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but it, it was that sort of thing, right? Now, yeah. certainly plural marriage comes with its own set of uh challenges and and whatnot but it also comes with its own set of blessings i will also say this as mormons we strive to have
0: a zion society right well uh yeah i don't think we're that good at it but uh yeah we we, we should be talking good talk
1: Let me tell you why I don't think we can achieve that yet, especially within mainstream LDS Mormonism. And and this is, again, this isn't an attack. It's just an Mm -hmm. observation. Yeah. What is the basic fundamental unit of any society? The family. Okay. How can you have a Zion society without Zion-type families?
0: We can't. The, in I my mean, I experience guess we could but it would it would be very difficult i think that's part of the problem right there the whole problem
1: in my experience kevin i was the most christ like i'd ever been when i lived plural marriage because mm-hmm. i had to put my own desires on the back burner for the betterment of my family and that only increased the love in my home And when I saw Amber tell me, hey, Carol's really struggling today. You need to spend some extra time there. And then Carol do the same thing to Amber. There's something that happens in that kind of of relationship where you're forced to embrace more Christ-like attributes. This is my opinion. The LDS Church will not attain Zion until they have Zion-type families. And the best way I have found and seen it work, not just in my circumstance, but so a lot of other fundamentalist circumstance is through plural marriage.
0: Yeah, so let's, uh, let's go back. Sorry, uh, audience, for the deviation, but I really wanted to get this discussed. Uh, so how did you and Carol end up getting married? And tell us that whole story. Because so Amber said, you know, she got you yeah. the scripture, thus say it, the Lord. Yeah. And then you read the manifesto. Then what happened?
1: So at that point, um, I have some well, we have a very raw and open and honest conversation at that kitchen table. Um Carol's sitting there, Amber's sitting there, I'm there. And Amber just says, look, Carol's admitted to me that that she thinks you're great. She loves you. How do you feel about her? And I'm really put on the spot, but I kind of bear my heart. And for reasons that I want to keep private, because sure, um, it was a very sacred moment. I just kind of expressed how I felt, but I still wasn't sold. I said, "If if, if we're going to do this. I have to, one, go get confirmation from the Lord. Two, I've got to figure out how to get married to Carol. Because it's not like I can go to my bishop and go, guess what, bro? Great news, (laughs) right? He's not having any of that. No. No. (laughs) So I I have to essentially figure this out. So I spend about the better part of six weeks praying about it. And every so often the girls would come up and go, have you got an answer yet? And I was like, not yet, not yet. And I ain't going, I'm not doing anything until I receive an answer. And one night I was standing on that five acres kind of in the middle of the field, looking up at the stars and I'm, I just, not knowing what to do. And it was the same feeling, only stronger, that I had when I knelt down beside that fire to ask if the gospel was true. And the the answer was, I brought you to this point, at this time, for a reason. And this is that reason. So that's part of the equation solved. I got my answer. The next question, the next question is, how are we going to get married? Right? How's that going to work? Yeah. This starts me down the road of really now starting to really truly investigate what would be termed fundamentalism. Right. This,
0: this still, this is still two thousand seven. I assume that this is in yep. the summertime.
1: Yep it's it's two thousand seven. Yeah. Late 2007, late, late, uh, late summer. Okay. So I really start digging in now online, right? To find anything to help me out. I'm looking everywhere for proper authority and someone willing to, to officiate a, a marriage. I search high and low and I'm not finding a ton that's given me a lot of hope right about the only high profile ones are the ones that are dirt bags down
0: in Colorado city. Oh, yeah. So and I know they I'm do not... make polygamists look bad. We're going to talk more about that later. Yeah.
1: So I, I know I don't want to go there, right? That's, that's out of the question. Everybody else is really tight lipped, Kevin. Nobody wants to come out and just say, Oh yeah, here we are. Come, come on over. We're we're here. Nobody wants to do that. Eventually I bump into Ogden Kraut's work. And for anyone who doesn't know who Ogden Kraut is, Ogden Kraut was a fundamentalist who was pretty active from, if I'm not mistaken, the 60s all the way up until he died in the late 80s, I believe. I could be wrong on
0: those dates. I think you're right. Well,
1: yeah, I'm not sure when he died, but yeah. Don't 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 quote me on that. Okay. But in one of his books. I find something called the Solemn Covenant, and and he's backed it up with historical precedent and some things some early church leadership had said that when proper priesthood authority isn't available, you can perform what's called the Solemn Covenant with your first spouse and your soon-to-be second spouse before the Lord, where you make a covenant that you're going to live in a marriage until you can find proper authority to have a ceiling. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Uh, but there are people who would really take advantage of it. That's probably what David Brian Mitchell did with Elizabeth smart. He probably now he was a dirtbag, bag, uh, but yeah. What would you say to people like that who really took advantage of it?
1: If you are kidnapping somebody in the middle of the night, that does not apply. Yeah. Right. If it's an underage right. girl, that does not apply. And, and let's get this out there in no uncertain terms. 99% of the fundamentalists I have met do not take child brides, do not get into this just to have more sexual partners. If if sex is the driving motivator, there's a lot easier ways of getting that than having a family.
0: Yeah, exactly. And a committed
1: re- relationship. And the ninety nine percent who don't do those dirt baggy kind of things, Kevin, make damn sure that the guys who are espousing such things are are minimalized as much as possible. Yeah. So I just wanted to get that out of the way real quick. So okay, there there's certainly guys who abuse it. I'm I'm here to tell you. Likewise, there's guys in monogamy who abuse their wives.
0: Sure. So I yeah. mean, even to the point, Oh, the spirit told me that we should get married. Now, if somebody told that to me, if I was dating a girl and she told that to me, I'd say, Oh, that's funny. Cause the spirit didn't tell me.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. So, so that's, that's what I'm I not to saying. Say it, the
0: spirit can't tell you, but generally speaking, that is not how it were. That's not how it happens. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the spirit so, might say this works or go ahead, but it's not going to say you have to marry this person. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I think I think
1: anytime someone's agency is sacrificed on that altar, you have problems. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would say that that that's probably a good rule of thumb and is it something that can be used for some pretty bad things i would imagine it could be um, how many cases have i seen where that's gone bad in terms of somebody being abused not not any i can think of off the top of my head with the exception of elizabeth smart yeah and and the folks down down in colorado city so, and i shouldn't i shouldn't say folks right either there there was a group of men who were um pretty bad and and the folks in colorado city i i tend to look at with some with with a pretty sensitive heart because i feel like they've had the worst experience someone can have um so i, I want to make that clear I'm, I'm not lumping in the victims with the perpetrators
0: yeah so you read this book by ogden kraut and it said basically that you you could form a marriage. And again, I'm not agreeing with Ogden Kraut. I'm just stating what you said, that you could form a marriage if there's nobody around. Now, so so I assume that you performed the marriage yourself then at some point.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then later on, we did find somebody who I felt had proper authority, and we were sealed. And then we lived Uh, by all accounts i mean a pretty normal life right i mean i put a gate in between uh in between where where amber and i lived and where carol and i lived so that i could get back and forth with you know out prying eyes or you know someone driving by or something like that right yeah um because while we found somebody with proper authority there's still not like a church we can go to either. Right. And one of the big drivers for me with Mormonism has always been this idea of coming together with other people to build Zion, to, to, to work the plan, so to speak. Right. Yeah. So without that, we keep going to the LDS church. Now for seven years, I lived in a plural marriage and, went to church with both my wives right now, obviously Carol didn't sit right next to me. She sat next to Amber, but we were never found out. Um, How did you pull that off? I I don't know. I don't know. I fully, I fully expected at some point that there would be a reckoning that came right. Oh yeah. Never, Never, never happened. Uh, nobody there nobody
0: suspected anything because you lived in a pretty rural area a small town
1: yeah but keep in mind we're out in the country as well though too right
0: and you so, eat a lot of peaches too yeah yeah remember exactly. that song by the presidents of the united states I of do. america yeah i anyway. do
1: yeah yeah i do <laughs> good song in the 90s yes it was <laughs> listen to that song on your way to watch an encino man so <laughs> um anyway um yeah just never never really got got found out there was one old guy who cornered me once in the john and he just walked up to me and i mean he was old he was probably in his 80s sweet old man and he said i think i know what's going on around your place and i just kind of stopped drying my hands i was like oh yeah what's that he said i don't think i'm gonna say because then i'd have some questions that i am not comfortable answering And I said, well, what questions are those? And he said, when you teach an elders quorum, he said, I feel the spirit a lot. How is it you can do that if you're doing something that God doesn't approve of? So he decided not to ask the question.
0: Okay, so how do you think he found out? Oh, I imagine because
1: he was probably pretty observant and probably saw the way I looked at at Carol that that it probably tipped him off a little bit. Right. I, I yeah. think that I, I think that, that anybody with eyes to see probably could have figured it out. Uh but I do think that there were probably I, I I'm not so naive to think that he was the only one who had questions. I just think he was the only one who had courage enough to. To come uh, to me about it, yeah, and and he basically said, "Look, your business is your business. If if you feel you're right with the Lord, who am I to say that you're not?" Um. He said, "You know, I I remember, um. I remember my, I think great grandmother. He said I can't remember, uh that that she lived in a plural marriage and they had a very sweet home," is how he put it. So, um, about the only other time I can remember where I was really nervous about being found out was, uh, about two months after, uh, Carol and I got married. Um, I had to have a meeting with, uh, a, an area 70 and I thought for sure I was going to get found out then, um, our home teaching numbers were just off the charts and I don't want anyone to think that it was because of something I did. But this was back when it was home teaching and not ministering. Yes. And so they really kept track of the numbers in those days. Right. And we were hitting low to mid nineties consistently for about a year and a half. And so this attracted some attention. And, and I remember I got told by my Bishop that, uh, that this, uh, this member of the 70 wanted to talk with me and I thought, well, I'm done. I'm toast right? And I had to sit with that for two weeks. And uh, the girls knew and they thought for sure we were all going to get hauled in. So we're making plans about what we're going to do. And um, eventually, I have that meeting and and he just asked, you know, how are your numbers so good? And And it really had nothing to do with me. I said, you know, I think we just got a, a good group of brethren who love each other and want to take care of each other. And I think that's it. And he just looked at me and he leaned back in his chair and he said, I feel inspired to tell you, brother Sanders, that whatever you're doing in your personal life, keep that up. Wow. And so, yeah, I walked out of there and uh, met the girls, uh, on the porch when I got home and they're like, what happened? And I said, well, I think he said, keep living plural marriage.
0: <laughs> wow. So.
1: So, do you, yeah, you that... think
0: that uh, we're going to dive into deep here? Do you think this? Do you think he had a sense? Uh, you know, if we're going to go by the gift of discernment and all those things, do you think that he maybe sensed something was up? If we're going to go down that route,
1: I don't think he had an inclination at all that I was living plural marriage. Okay, I I do... wonder
0: if his tune would have changed if he knew about it.
1: Well, that's a very good question, Kevin. Um, I'm not sure if it, I imagine he'd have to, right? I mean, there's no way this is going to fly. However, if he's going just off the spirit, and that was truly a manifestation from the spirit, and he wasn't just giving lip service, why would he receive that in that situation?
0: Uh, Well, I don't know.
1: Me neither i have an idea but you know that was i wasn't doing anything wrong i was working a different part of the gospel um so yeah that's that's kind of what what happened there so um do you have any more questions about that part before i move on in the um
0: no uh we can go ahead and move on i do have questions about polygamy and all that but i i do want to have you finish your story yeah so
1: anyway uh another four or five years passes and uh well longer than that probably six or better and eventually carol's parents find out as i stated before carol was a was a little bit older than i was but her parents were really kind of pillars in the small community that we lived and uh they had got wind. Um, I'm not really going to say how they got wind of it, but they did. And they put some pressure on Carol to kind of make a choice between us and them. Basically the ultimatum was you, you either break off or we're going to publicly out. you, Sort of a thing. And so, I, I told Carol, I was like, look, this is not a big deal. I've been to Maryland and back. We'll move. We'll move tomorrow. I'll pull that trigger tomorrow. But the idea of Carol not being able to see her family be there for you know funerals, important events, that was just too much for her. And I understand that. I bear no ill will. And so she decides to break it off. Amber and I put the house up for sale and we move and it ended and so i uh you moved back east no yeah we we went to north dakota oh okay so because it was still pretty rough in the economy and north dakota was the only place that was looking for surveyors
0: and this would have been what back in 2010 probably 11 uh pushing pushing 12 okay pushing 12 um
1: so yeah i just you know i'm like well uh, two things came to mind. And and this will kind of, I was not in a good headspace, right? I felt like a failure. I felt like I let her down. Had I been a better husband, maybe that would have made the made her go in a different direction. I questioned myself. I questioned God a lot. I said, you know, I, I don't understand why, why I'm in this situation now. And I know that there are some folks who said, well, that's obvious, David, you went against you know, the, the instructions of the church and that's why you hurt and, and, um, and whatnot, but I, I don't think that was it now that I have some time behind me, right. That's been over a decade ago now. Um, but, and, and not to say I couldn't have been a better husband. I can always be a better husband, Kevin. I can always step my game up a little bit more. Um, um, yeah. So I I don't want anyone to feel like I was blameless or perfect or anything like that. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. Um, But I think the circumstances were what they were. And Carol was placed in a very tough position and she had to make some choices. Um, And I hope I I wish her nothing but the best. I hope she's happy wherever she is. Um, But so, you know, I remember I told Amber one night and cause I, I wanted to do my best Kevin to never grieve for Carol in front of Amber because I yeah. never wanted Amber to feel like she wasn't enough. Right. That was super important to me that I guard her heart and I protect her heart at all costs. And if this means I have to bear that cross alone, so be it. So for the most part, I went out of my way to make sure I never grieved for Carol in front of Amber. And one night, she did catch me in in a real bad spot, and I was on the deck, and i i was I was struggling hard. And she said, what what are we going to do now? And I said, well, we haven't been found out. I'm going to forget everything I learned about fundamentalism. And I'm not just talking about plural marriage. I'm talking about the Adam God doctrine. I'm talking about all the temple changes. I'm talking about all those teachings that I discovered in fundamentalism. I said, I'm going to put those all on the back shelf. I'm going to forget I ever learned them. And we're going to go back to, to the LDS church like nothing ever happened. So we, we sell the house, we moved to North Dakota. I'm fairly active back there. I mean, uh, I didn't hold any uh, leadership positions back there just because I was always so busy with work. At one point I worked like 104 straight days. So wow. that's a yeah, lot. It, it, it was, it was massively busy. Um, and so you know, I, I was definitely not inactive, but I wasn't in a place where I was, had been typically where I could be leadership or, you know, something like that. Um, so we go back there and I remember I visited, this'll tell you how bad of a headspace I was in. This was stupid, but I remember I touched down in North Dakota in winter time and, uh, it's just bitter cold, Kevin. And I remember thinking, This will be a good spot. I think I can freeze out all the bad memories out here. That's that was really my thought and uh, didn't work too well. It did give me a chance, though, to think a lot and work through some things. And so eventually we're like, okay, we've made some money. It's time to get back to the mountains. And that eventually takes us to Utah. And we moved to Utah in 2015. And I get a job here. And I'm still active in the LDS church and I'm going to church and I'm just working the program again. Right. And over time I start yeah. thinking, well, maybe I had this unique experience this one time for my own personal growth. Cause I look back and there's no reason we shouldn't have been found out. There's no reason that we shouldn't have been hauled in in front of the state president. So I think, well, maybe maybe this was just, uh, just an opportunity for, for me and Amber to really grow spiritually. And so I make some peace with that, or I think I make some peace with that. The unfortunate thing is, Kevin, is that once you know some of these doctrines and you receive a testimony of some of these doctrines, especially Adam God and the, and the nature of God, and you start hearing things that are contrary and people saying, well, that's always how it was. It starts to grate on you a little bit, right? It starts to, to, I won't say make you angry because I definitely didn't get angry, but frustrate me because I was like, well, that's not true. Right. And, and I don't blame any member of the LDS church and I don't blame a bishop or a stake president or probably even an area 70. Right. Cause, or even even the the apostles they may not understand all that um just because it it it's been so long ago and it's you know there's been great pains taken to make sure that that stuff doesn't get brought up again but i just remember that in the in the um late winter of 2019 uh Actually, it was a little later than that. It was probably the early part of 2020 because COVID was around, and we were in the pandemic. And I remember one morning I was just shaving in the uh, in front of the mirror, and I'm like, "Why do I feel so empty?" Right? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to church. I'm working the program. I'm in leadership. I'm I'm rubbing elbows with the right people. I'm attending the temple weekly why am I still feeling empty? And the in, in that moment where I was humble enough to ask, the, the, the answer was very simple. I was just not being authentic to who I was. I had learned certain things. I had grown from learning certain things. And when you try to put that on the back shelf, that causes all sorts of problems. So, Early 2020, I went in and I talked to my um, leaders and I just said, look, I'm not coming back to church. The reason I'm not coming back to church is because um, of these changes that have been made. And I don't feel like the church is heading in the direction that the Lord would have us go. I'm not looking to be a problem. I'm not looking at trying to convert anybody else to my way of thinking. I would just appreciate my space to live the gospel in a more authentic way. And then that led me to search again. And I did find a, a church that I, I joined a great group of people who are fundamentalists who you'd never know are, are fundamentalists because they do appear so I hate using the word normal, but you know, it, it, for all accounts and purposes they are very normal people they all have jobs they all go to work they all have families their kids go to school their kids participate in in you know after school programs that sort of thing and so i've been going to church there ever since and and i should say i feel very fulfilled going there i can talk about the things that i want to talk about and not have to be worried about being drugged in, into the bishop's office and and questioned and have my membership threatened at every turn.
0: So let me ask then, you a couple of questions then. Uh, and yeah. again, we're just discussing. I uh, yeah. Did you ever think that maybe you were doing something wrong and you needed to go to the bishop and repent after all this went down with Carol?
1: Oh, I, I absolutely did. I absolutely did. I, I got on my knees and I questioned quite a bit about that. Because if I was wrong, then I need to get this figured out. But every answer I got was, um, no, no, you did exactly what I wanted you to do. You were right where you were supposed to be. I struggled with that question so much, Kevin, and you have to understand that I'm the kind of guy who keeps things close to the vest, right? I know that seems odd for somebody who does a podcast about Mormon fundamentalism, but that time in my life, I was keeping this all very close to the vest, but it created enough conflict within my own mind that I actually went and sought out a counselor who was LDS. I was like, I need to find somebody I can talk to who, doesn't necessarily have um authority that way but someone who can walk me through this and so i confessed to this counselor about you know how i lived and 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 i remember she and, and it wasn't like i came right out with that during the first session i saw her for a good year and a half and uh i i remember she said something she said i feel like i know you well enough now you don't make moves without talking to god first
0: this was a LDS counselor that you saw through social services? Or no,
1: no, 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 no. This was a private counselor who was LDS.
0: Oh, okay. So
1: I kind of okay. sifted, I sifted through three or four different uh, LDS, through three or four different counselors before I found one that I felt like was a faithful member of the LDS church. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, yeah. You want, yeah, you've got to be careful with this guy. it's best to have, I think, someone who's the best religion uh you're the same religion i i i remember bringing this up when i was in junior high we had a counseling session a whole bunch of blind people said look you better do one on one because there's things i just don't feel comfortable talking about in a group and i would prefer to have somebody that's my religion so i could feel more open about talking discussing certain things i'd set this in eighth grade to a camp director right right so yeah i'm i'm looking for a counselor who's devoutly lds
1: who i can confide in and then get some feedback from and i remember she just leaned back in her chair after i told her the whole story the same story i just told you here and i i just remember asking uh i asked her i said is this something i should be working out with with my bishop and and she said look you you don't we've been meeting now for about 4 months and you don't strike me as the kind of guy who does anything without talking to the lord first she said the other let me ask you this question she said how would it make you feel to confess this to your bishop and the only thing that came to mind, and it was quick, Kevin, it wasn't like I had to think about it, was I'm going to feel like I'm casting my pearls before swine. Not calling the bishop swine, you know what I mean? But the, 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 the experience I had was so sacred that to have somebody else call it evil felt sacrilegious. And she said, that's probably a good indication that you honestly feel in your heart of hearts, probably through the spirit, that you didn't do anything wrong. And so I went forward from there. So yeah, the the idea of, is this something I need to go work out with my bishop, crossed my mind many times. And I, I really did go, I mean, I was looking for confirmation on that. To the point of, I you know found a counselor to go talk to, because uh, because I needed it so much, and I'm the kind of guy that never wants to go see a. Were show.
0: you ever afraid that the counselor was just trying to agree with you just to be nice? Were you ever afraid that? No, uh... no, because
1: she called me on different different things that I would do that was BS. So I felt like we had a good enough rapport okay. that that if she smelled BS, she would call me on it.
0: Okay. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about polygamy in general. And then Mm -hmm. uh, I want to talk about your podcast. Mm -hmm. And again, folks, um, for those of you that are listening, I am not a polygamist. I'm not a fundamentalist, but I really think that you know, we can benefit from this conversation, so it's yeah, you know, uh we're we show respect, and I like David, he likes me, and I think whether you agree with what David says or not, I think that it's worth the discussion, don't you, David? I think so and and look, Kevin, one of the
1: reasons I started the podcast was because I feel like unfortunately uh f- the only news coming out of fundamentalism from the media or from hollywood or whatever paints a very one-sided picture
0: oh absolutely it does and In it's fact. not
1: it's not representative of 99 percent of the fundamentalists out there and yeah. and th- the show grew out of that a little bit um I didn't realize I'd be setting up shop right before kind of a fundamentalist moment within pulp, pop culture, but that's sure what happened. The the other thing was, is that the, the other impetus for me starting a, a Mormon fundamentalist podcast was, I remember my search for answers, right? Early on, when I was looking high and low for somebody with proper authority, who's a good person to talk to, who's a dirtbag, right? and i had to sort that out all myself and i thought you know if, if somebody else and and i'm sure we'll get into the exact moment when i had this this idea if you want to call it that um uh, of doing this podcast it was just going back over my own story in a hotel room in in west texas of all places for for work thinking man my life would have been easier if there could have been someone else around to help me through it and so that that was the, those two things were were major reasons for starting the podcast.
0: Okay, yeah, we're gonna get more into your podcast, but I do want to talk about polygamy. Mm-hmm. And you're right, most I don't think most polygamists are like the Warren Jeffs crowd. I'll tell no. you why. Um. I know somebody, I'm just going to be vague about this, but I know somebody who has two sisters that are polygamists. And I was with this individual one Saturday night, and we had a really deep discussion, and I really didn't know what to tell her, because I had never thought about polygamy at all, never crossed my mind, other than the fact that someday, I believe, and again, just my opinion, we're going to practice it, just my opinion. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm not preaching doctrine, but it is my opinion that someday we will have it. Mm
1: -hmm. Now,
0: having said that, um, this individual, um, we'll call her Cindy, even though that's not her real name. We'll call her Cindy. Okay. Cindy says to me, Kevin why is the church so, why is the LDS church so friendly towards gay people, but not polygamous? And I said, because polygamy is not cool, and being gay is. <laughs> and there's more gay people out there than polygamous. And I didn't tell her this, but since then I thought, how many family members do we have where someone comes out of the closet and becomes a polygamist. I would say 1%, if less than that, maybe. You yeah. know, and you've got all these people who are LGBT that come out and say, oh, I'm transgender, I'm gay, whatever. Now, I don't want to speak ill to these people, but those of you that listen to the podcast know how I feel about the church supporting this uh, amendment that just passed. But, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking. I just said because polygamy is not cool and the church wants to distance themselves from it. And then she just talked about she made it very clear to me, uh, just like you are. And I agree with you. Most polygamists are not like the Warren Jepp's crowd. And she said the same thing that you did, that a lot of the women have jobs. A lot of the women do not wear the long dresses and have the long hair. And that's another reason why I wanted to bring you on, even though we have some differences, I think you need to get your story out there. Yeah, yeah. Most fundamentalist women
1: wear jeans and shirts, right? They're not. Most fundamentalist women, 99% of them, are not wearing prairie dresses with really weird hairstyles. That is one group that... Their leadership was extremely corrupt. And look, I'll be honest, I'll call a spade a spade right here.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Warren Jeffs has a lot of punishment coming his way. Oh, you better
0: believe it. not oh,
1: yeah. not just because of of all the hurt he caused, but in addition to that, he took a holy principle, he twisted it and he manipulated it for his own gratification. Yeah, God, you know what
0: we call that? We call that priestcraft. We call that for for for
1: those of you who who've been through the temple. We call that mocking God. Yes, and that's God true. will not be mocked. So Warren Jeffs has a lot of punishment coming his way, and good, good, because he he is a tyrant. He is a false prophet. He is everything King
0: Noah ever hoped to be. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, just to give you an example, Cindy, her two sisters are polygamists. One of them, just to give you an example, is in real estate, well, was in real estate, And Mm -hmm. I don't know how good she was at it, but she was in real estate. She teaches classes at a health food store in Salt Lake. I'm not going to mention the name because I don't have permission to mention names out here. But she teaches, you know, the point is, and uh, she has a lot of children. Now, I don't know how many are hers as opposed to the sister wives. But, yeah, uh, the point is, like you said, David, they're normal. She's normal yeah and yeah. I want to ask you because I have heard a horror story Cindy told me that her sister the one who works in re- the one who worked in real estate that's a polygamist the her sister wife and her did not get along in fact mm-hmm. they I, I she told me a horror story where Cindy's uh sister, her sister-wife locked her in the basement for 8 hours that's torture yeah now i don't i don't profess to know that this goes on in a lot of polygamous families but what do you say to that because uh, let's face it women and i know this for a fact get jealous very easily man i have a female friend and if i date a woman and she notices that i'm around that female friend she may not say it, but it seems like that's when all hell breaks loose uh, because she's one of my best friends, the female friend that I have. We've been through a lot together and I'm not about ready to give the friendship up. So w- how did things work between you uh, between you Amber and Carol? Was there any jealousy was there and what do you say about uh, Cindy's sister? Okay. So
1: let's let's take that one at a time. Let, let me okay. tell you my experience. Okay. My experience was, sure, there was jealousy. Absolutely, there was jealousy. Now, there was never anything like locking someone in a basement. But I think that's part of the, for, for the sisters, I think that's part of the development of Christlike attributes. Right, I'll tell you what Amber told me about that because we had it we obviously we've had many deep discussions about this, oh, you had to of yeah, yeah and 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 again, always being sensitive to to Amber's feelings and when Carol was around her feelings, I just asked, I said, you know how, how do you deal with that? I mean, is there something I can do better and Amber Amber said. I got comfortable with things when I stopped to ask the question, am I getting everything from you I need and everything from you I want? If I'm answering yes to that, and I love Carol, and Carol needs that sort of thing, and you can provide that, then then what is there to be jealous about? Now, that means that I have a lot of work to do. Right, Kevin? I have to yeah. make sure that I am supportive in every way possible to to both of those women to give them everything I got to be the best husband I possibly can be. They deserve that. They are entitled to that.
0: So, does so this... I, oh, go I, ahead.
1: I, I, I think that, that whole thing with jealousy, I think that if it's dealt with in a healthy way and, and the only way that this sort of stuff works is when there's really open communication, right? When, when Amber or Carol could come to me and say, look, I need a little more here or there or, or whatever the case is, then I can be like, Oh, sure. You bet. I'm there. I'm Johnny on the spot. You tell me what I need to do. I'm going to do that. And so, um, Communication was key in, in getting rid of a lot of that jealousy. Um, the the other thing I think that that helps out a ton is when when the guy checks his ego at the door when he comes home at night. Right. I found yeah. out really quickly that things ran really smoothly when I just shut up. Right. Now, obviously yeah. there were big decisions that I needed to 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 have the say on because we do live you know, the, the, the patriarchal order, but, Uh um, by and large, if it wasn't stuff that needed my input, why would I bother? Vacations were a prime example. The first big vacation we all took together. I felt like I had to have my, my say in everything, not that it had to be my way, but, but that I needed to make sure I was super involved. Right.
0: And yeah, well, don't you think of, part of that was because there were things you wanted to do and you wanted to make sure that you got what you wanted to do done and no, they got what no. they wanted to do done.
1: No, no, no. That was me trying to be super attentive. That was okay. me trying to be to be to let them know I'm here for this. I'm here to help whatever I can. They don't need that. I'm not that important, Kevin. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just the truth of it. And so on things like vacations or, or those sorts of things, I, I don't, I don't need to have a say in everything. Right. And oftentimes things work yeah. better when I just learn to be quiet.
0: Yeah. I can't remember what, what was the other question I asked you? I know I asked you. A oh,
1: uh, what, what would I say about your friend who got locked in a closet? Yeah. I would say that's abuse. I would also say this, that, Gosh, without knowing the situation, I have to ask, where where's the husband in this situation?
0: I'll tell you. Um, According to Cindy, the husband's first wife was his favorite. And I think everybody knew that. Okay. And therein lies a problem. Yes. Right?
1: If you have a favorite, you're not doing this correctly. And you probably have no business doing it really yeah real easy i don't know how else to say it um if 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 he's allowing that sort of thing or condoning that sort of thing I, i i take i take real exception with that
0: yeah you know the thing that bothered me about this when i heard this from cindy is I asked Cindy, why didn't your sister leave the marriage? And she said, oh, well, I guess uh, Cindy's sister was so bent on the fact that she made a covenant. But I believe she would have been justified in leaving that, don't you? I do. I do.
1: I do. Anytime there's abuse involved, hell yes, get out of there.
0: Sure. stick around for that. Absolutely. There's no room for that. Look,
1: if, if plural marriage is used in the justification of abuse... Again, going back to what I said before about Warren Jeffs, you got some explaining to do. Yes, right. When you when you face your maker, you're you're going to have to answer some pretty tough questions.
0: Yeah, and
1: I don't want anyone to ever think that plural marriage is a license for abuse. It is wrong. No. And again, ninety nine percent of the people I have met that practice plural marriage do not have those experiences.
0: Yeah. Now I want to, I want to get a little graphic. This is not the Howard Stern show, but I've got to talk about this because this comes up in every marriage at least every normal marriage. (laughs) So if you have kids around, let me do a countdown and I would say probably turn your favorite listening device off or down for about five, 10 minutes or you can just fast forward or you can come back to this later. Five, four, three, two. Okay. Let's talk about sex, because sex is important in a marriage. Um, did you, Amber, or Carol, ever get so pissed off at each other that you would say, Oh, I'm pissed off at you, Carol. I'm gonna sleep with Amber tonight, or vice versa, or did Carol get mad at you and said, I'm not sleeping with you tonight. Sleep with Amber. Was there any discussion there? Because we are humans. No.
1: Let me tell you how that usually ran. Okay. I would be in a fight with Amber or Carol. And then the other one would say, you're not sleeping in my bed till you work it out with her first. Okay. That, that sounds good. What that does is that that put me in a position to where I had to self-evaluate and then go work things out. Right. We we, in this is in, in my opinion, you can't use plural marriage as a device to run away from maybe another marriage that needs a little more attention, that needs a little bit of fixing. Right. That needs some stuff worked out in it. If you're using plural marriage to escape a bad marriage, you're gonna have another bad marriage really fast. Yeah. So in my experience, it was, oh, you're fighting, you know, if if I was at, you know, if I was, you know, in 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 Amber's bedroom and she was like, You're not sleeping here till you work out things with, with Carol. And Carol would do the same thing with Amber.
0: Okay, yeah, that would definitely keep your ego in check if everybody was sincere, including you. Yep, yep. Now, let me ask you this, and you may not know the answer. Do you think Brigham Young had his favorite wives? And I just say this, well, I know we shouldn't, but we're human. <laughs> what do you think of that? So with Brigham you
1: have to look at a couple of things, right? One is is that there were some marriages he had that was were were almost welfare marriages, right? Uh-huh. Where where he was uh he was marrying women who who couldn't take care of themselves. Um everything I read about Brigham is that uh and this is from some of his kids' account when he was in the home of whatever wife he was visiting those kids. And that wife felt like they were getting a hundred percent of Brigham at that time.
0: Okay. That's just,
1: just what I read now is, is there something maybe where he maybe had a favorite it's possible, but uh, you know, I, I I can't speak to the veracity of of every one of Brigham's wives.
0: Yeah. Okay. For those of you that are listening, uh, you can now turn up the volume on your device, assuming you don't have uh, kind little ears around.
1: I, I want to make sure, Kevin. You felt oh, like yeah. you got your your question answered on that.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: I just want to be as as make sure you're getting your answer. I,
0: I, I, I want to talk more about this, but we are nearing the end of the two hour period, and I really want to get into your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start. So, you felt inspired to do the podcast because of your experience, and basically, it was your way to try to reach out to other fundamentalists, correct?
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> I'll tell you the exact story. And, and and I'll say this, this was either inspiration or a bad slice of pizza. I don't know which one it was, Okay, but I was, uh, well, I, I think I know now based on the reception I got. So, um, I was out of town for work. I was down in West Texas and I had at this point, this is after I had left the LDS church. I, uh, I was kind of, uh, uh, making it known that I was a fundamentalist. And, uh, I, I remember I was just laying in bed and I can never sleep well when I'm away from my family in a, in a hotel room. Right. I just, I always feel antsy. And I just remember I was laying in bed that night and I was, I was thinking about how I got to where I was right. Thinking back on Carol, thinking back on, on how I you know really had to search long and hard for everything I found and I thought man that was a horrible situation and this was also prefaced I should say by this thought of I need to do more to further uh, further the the Lord's work along I need to be uh, better about doing a little bit more so I was in kind of that mindset And I I just remember thinking, man, it was too bad there wasn't like a a catch-all website I could go to and get all the answers I needed. Or someone that could spend hours explaining these complex doctrines to us or um, what, what I perceived as complex doctrines at that time. And out of that, there was just this thought that just popped into my head out of nowhere a podcast would have been a great format for discussing some of this. And so when I came home from that trip, I bought a new laptop and a couple of microphones and walked in the door and told my wife what I was going to do. And she, uh, she was like, well, you've, you know, really, as far as ideas, uh, that's not the dumbest one you've ever had.
0: <laughs> <And> so, so <laughs> So, oh, wow. but I, I
1: I need I needed to consult with Amber on that because I was making myself public, right? I was putting my voice out there. I didn't realize it would become as public as it has been. Um, I honestly thought it would be me and like eight listeners, to be honest with you. Um what I didn't realize is that when I started the podcast, it was just a few months before things like um under the banner of heaven came out on Hulu. And Um, the, the stuff with, um, uh, the, the Warren Jeffs documentary in, uh, on Netflix. And so I felt like we were almost in this fundamentalist moment that I was not expecting to be in on whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But here's the interesting outgrowth of this, Kevin. I have received more letters and, and just as far as demographics, my audience is about 65, 60, 65% fundamentalist, 35 to 40% active LDS folks. And then, you know, anywhere from, from 10 to 15% never Mormons. Um, what I wasn't prepared for was a lot of the outreach I got from members of the church, especially as I was tackling the tougher things that were being brought to light and in, in Under the Banner of Heaven and the Warren Jeffs documentary. And I remember one letter. The, this one kind of brought me to tears. It was from a young couple who had just gotten married. Uh, faithful, active, devout LDS folks. And I remember I got this email that said, you know, thanks for doing this podcast on Under the Banner of Heaven and breaking this stuff down. Because after seeing the first four or five episodes, my wife and I were thinking that perhaps Mormonism wasn't correct. That this whole idea of a restoration and that Joseph Smith and Brigham Young were not good people. And that perhaps we should leave the church. And after y- listening to your podcast and your guests, and this is the other thing I always try to have on people way smarter than me, which is easy to do. Yeah. But, but I have people on who can really break these doctrines down. And, and anyway, back to this letter, this, the, he just said, you know, thanks for doing this. It, it saved our faith. And we can, we can go back to church again now that we understand. And, and, that I wasn't prepared for that. Right. I'm glad it happened because like I said, I'm, I enjoyed my time in the LDS church. I don't have an ax to grind. I will call a spade a spade when I feel it's necessary, but I don't go out of my way to bash the church. I don't feel there's any need for that. I feel like I gained a lot of great knowledge from the LDS church. And if somebody listens to a clown with a microphone have on some guests that can break down some of these doctrines that seem spooky on the surface, and then it allows people to keep their faith and go back to church. I'll take it any day of the week.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's one thing I like about your podcast. You tell people if you're having a faith crisis, don't listen to certain podcasts. Um, I can't remember exactly what you said, but don't, don't um, throw
1: the baby out with the bathwater. Just breathe yeah. for a second,
0: right? Just yeah. breathe.
1: Just give it space and give it time and reach out to other people. I will never tell a person to leave the LDS church if they want to stay. I am more than happy to provide information to someone if they, they want to stay in the LDS church on, on how they can stay and making sense of those doctrines. And so... Yeah yeah, I, I just don't feel the need for that. Right. I, uh, yeah. Secure enough in my own beliefs. I don't need to tear anybody else's down. Um, and again, I enjoyed my time in the LDS church. Um, yeah, it really did. I, I, yeah, that's just kind of where I fall on that. So, um, and I've had active LDS folks on my podcast. Some of my favorite episodes have been with now, granted, they're on the traditional side of LDS, right? You, you, you have yeah. folks from a couple ladies I've had on from the uh, Joseph Smith Foundation. I feel like they do great work. Um, I've had uh, people on that, that, you know, one author in particular that, that wrote a book about uh, Mormonism that can be found in the Apocrypha. I had him on. I had him on again just last week. Great guy. Love talking to that guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess that's, that's the other thing I'm hoping comes out of this is just maybe a little more understanding from not only from LDS towards fundamentalists, but I believe there's a large portion of fundamentalists who, who act like they've been in a bad breakup, right. With, with the church. And I'm like, just let it go. You're, you're not making any friends by being out there bashing the church and it, you know, there's no reason for it. Right. So, yeah, it, one, one of the other things I hope the podcast does is just encourage, you know, a little bit more understanding between both parties, because like it or not, fundamentalism's not going anywhere. And neither no. is the LDS church. So we'd better figure out how to stand each other. Right. Where, you know, we may not be able to hug it out on Sundays, but there's no reason we can't work together when there are certain things that have come up that that threaten our families on both sides fundamentalists and lds and that and i've said as much on the podcast right i, I feel like now we're seeing things arise that threaten not only the lds church but fundamentalism and, and if we can't get together and defend the basic points that we all agree on we're in some trouble if if we absolutely
0: continue,
1: if we continue to cannibalize each other we're doomed i go back to what franklin said in you know after they signed the declaration we we all certainly need to stick together or, or we'll all hang separately and right now i feel like that there is enough out there coming after mormonism no matter what your flavor is fundamentalism or lds that we we had better start figuring out that we need to protect the next generation
0: well, that's that's why I had you on, because I know most polygamists and fundamentalists are good people, From, and I have found, I don't know too many, I mean, I haven't met a polygamist in person, so to speak. I've talked to Cindy's sister on the phone, tried to get her on my podcast. She wouldn't come on, and that's fine. She had her reasons. I know you. I haven't met you in person, but it seems to me with Cindy— And you and some of the others that I have talked to, and I'm not saying I'm going to convert to fundamentalism. I have my own beliefs, but I've got to say, you folks are very authentic and I would rather hang out with you than some of the mainstream LDS people that I know.
1: Oh, don't paint us in too good of a light there, Kevin. We'll still annoy everybody. Like we, like LDS folks do too. We're still people, (laughs) right? I don't, I don't, we, you know, I feel like, I feel like fundamentalists are just the weird cousins of the LDS folks. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I will say this for fundamentalists, they have a lot of forgotten knowledge, right. That, and that's one thing I did discover is that some of the questions that were being raised in this quote fundamentalist moment, when you had things like under the banner of heaven and the Jeff's documentary, I feel like um, fundamentalists were uniquely positioned to answer those questions in a very honest and rational way, because we still believe in a lot of that.
0: Yeah, and uh, by the way, don't take the statement like I hate LDS people. No, there are a lot of good, down-to-earth people that I know, that I hang out with, that are mainstream LDS like me, but I'm just saying that you folks are very, at least the ones I've spoken to are very authentic. That's what I meant to say.
1: Yeah, no, they... They, they are. I, I I, really do. I, I enjoy hanging out with them and it's, it's fun. It's always a good time. So. Oh yeah.
0: And I'm definitely looking forward to meeting you in person, but let me just say this before we go on, we're about ready to wrap this up. I haven't, I, I'm just going to open up here on this podcast some of you know, the reason I started this podcast is because I dated a girl back in 2015 who basically nagged me into doing this. And I'm glad she did. Because I'd always wanted to do a podcast, but I just wasn't sure what to do it on. And I never had the right equipment. I still don't have everything I want, although I'm getting there. Um, But I I, re- I need to get a website and all that. But to be honest, uh, David, one of the reasons, I would probably say 80-90% of the reason I did this podcast was because I wanted to interview Cliven Bundy. Now, it took oh. me forever to get somebody on. I didn't interview Cliven, but I interviewed Ammon, and that's even better than interviewing Cliven, but that's really about 80-90% to 90% of why I did this podcast in the first place. Now, is is... Are they fundamentalists? Um, I don't know what is a fundamentalist. We never got there. You know, I I, I, I mean, they're I could... they're not polygamous. They're they're LDS. They go to church the mainstream. I don't know. Would you I don't even know no. what a fundamentalist is.
1: <laughs> so that that's the other thing. There there's not like a litmus test for fundamentalism either, right? Yeah. Oh, look I know plenty of fundamentalists, quote, fundamentalists who aren't polygamists, right, who just that doesn't mean that they're opposed to living it. That just means that they haven't yet or or, you know, they're trying to get themselves in a better position to live the principle. But um, yeah, I know plenty of people who who are in fundamentalism who are not um, looking for plural marriage. What would surprise most people is that once you got to know a fundamentalist, you'd find out that plural marriage was just one of many things that that make their faith what it is, right? Just as we would say that uh, maybe uh, the the doctrine of uh, of temple covenants is just one piece of the gospel. Now, a very important piece, but still just one piece, right? That's wow. how most people within fundamentalism view, uh plural marriage. I would say this, that there's not a terrible amount that separates a traditionalist from a fundamentalist, save some things like Adam God doctrine, living plural marriage, that sort of stuff. I think if you got a traditionalist and a fundamentalist in the same room, they would agree on probably 99% of things.
0: Oh, I think you and I agree. I would say we agree about 80-90% of the time. I would I would think based yeah. on our conversations. I think so. I think yeah. so, Kevin. That's why I have no problem being friends with you. No. Yeah,
1: there there's there's more that unites us than separates us. Yes.
0: So um what advice do you have though? Let's let's get a little bit nerdy here. Mhm. What are you using for your podcast provider? Cause you are actually the first podcaster I've ever had on my show.
1: I I use anchor and then okay. how I went ahead and distributed is through them. So, and then I do some stuff with YouTube. I recently got on rumble because to be honest with you, I feel like I'm overdue for a strike on YouTube. Yeah. They haven't, <laughs> they haven't given me one yet, but I have a feeling that I'm fast approaching that. So I went ahead and got on rumble too just recently to make sure that I had another place to upload videos as well. Yep. Um, Up to this point. And and I've only done this since last April, right? That's that's all, all, all the time the podcast has been around. So it's been primarily audio up until now this year, I will do much more video. So that's, that's on its way, but yeah, I go through anchor. Uh, It was super intuitive. It was, it was easy. Right. Yeah. It made for a clown with a microphone like myself, it made it super simple. Um, yeah, that's
0: that's what I use. What kind of a microphone are you using? I, I use a Yeti. Okay. and It is uh it's it's I it it's sounds very professional.
1: Yeah, it's 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 been a good mic, it really has.
0: So yeah, in in case somebody's wondering, I am using an uh Sure SMB is in baby. And oh, if some good. of you think, Oh, the podcast sounds different. Yeah. I just got it today. So, um, Oh, yeah, no, it sounds good. Yeah. So what uh, I, I, have you used other microphones in the past?
1: Uh, no, just basically Yeti. I went ahead okay. and, and said, you know, I, I was fortunate enough. I had the funds available that I could not buy top of the line, but by somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And, and some of that, you know, as, as I talk to other podcasters, everybody's got their favorites, right? What one guy yeah. considers top of the line, another guy might consider middle of
0: the road. So, um, yeah. Okay. So what advice would you have for those that are thinking of getting into podcasting? Because I have some things to say about this and then we'll wrap it up because we've gone way too long, but I appreciate it. I think we had a very much needed conversation and I think Absolutely. we're going to have more of these conversations, you and I, on my podcast.
1: Absolutely. I'm good with
0: that. Um,
1: What I would say now, are we talking from a Mormon perspective here, Kevin? Nope.
0: Just podcasting in general. What, what did, you know, let's say someone said, Oh, I want to do this, but I don't have the right equipment. I can't afford this. Just get in and and do it. Yeah. Um, if, If there's one thing that I was always
1: naturally blessed with, it was this idea of I'll figure it out as, as I go. Um, I, ju- I knew there, there, you need to be authentic above everything else. If you are fake, it won't work. Um, yeah, people can smell BS a mile away, be authentic, um, it, to the point of being self deprecating. If you have to, It sometimes I'm not above being bluntly honest and saying that, everyone I have on my podcast is way smarter than I am. Um, and I do that for a reason. Um, and, and the tone of my podcast is very conversational, right? It's not an interview. These are just conversations I'm having. And, you know, to be honest, the, the other nice thing about this podcast is it's given me a reason to talk to really cool people about things I find really important. Um, I haven't just talked about fundamentalism. I do a lot of podcasts about, you know, uh the freedom movement right making sure that that our freedoms are preserved for the next generation i've done some podcasts on the op- overprescription of psychotropic drugs um i've done podcasts on the economy um certainly mormonism's the overarching theme but i branch out into everything i think is important
0: yeah let me just say how i got started i mean you know the i actually created a website uh ldspodcast.com it's no longer in existence because i ran out of funding to keep it going and i had a podcast provider called blueberry that hooked into wordpress well i ran out of funding to keep that going thank heavens for anchor but i've been through a whole series of microphones i went i had the really crappiest microphone to start out with it was a really bad microphone And then I worked my way up to a Logitech. It was a wireless microphone, headset combo, pretty crappy. The best microphone I'd had up to this point is the SM, uh, no, the Shure SW-58. And it just sounded terrible. And whenever I'd listen to myself, I would want to say, shut up. There's better microphones out there. I don't want to hear myself on this one. Other people didn't seem to care, but I did, and so did some other broadcasters. So I went ahead and finally splurged and got a good microphone. I think I'm going to keep this around for a while. But yeah, I agree with you, David. Just do it, and then over time, hopefully you can afford to get something better. Yes, the website will come back someday, and I'll probably get off of Anchor and go somewhere else. But thank goodness for Anchor right now. Yeah. But I agree with what you said. Just get in and do it even if you have a cheap microphone.
1: You know, we are so blessed to live in a time where if we can just not destroy ourselves, we live in a time now where where the first amendment is as close to being fully utilized as we can get. Uh the middleman's yeah. being slowly crowded out of the way and uh take advantage of that. Um you know I, I i think that 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 uh if you're feeling inspired to do it it's for a reason and you just need to get in there and do it
0: so let me ask you this and then we've got to wrap things up but stay with me though if you can i want to talk to you about some things off the podcast how did mm-hmm. people how did people find out about you because i didn't find out about you till a couple of weeks ago i didn't realize so, you've been
1: yeah so it's been primarily word of mouth so there's a couple of uh mormon fundamentalist uh facebook pages and whenever i release a new episode uh i put them up there you know with the links and then it goes there um and then the other thing with anchor that that made it nice was that you got to put in kind of some um keywords if you will that would uh would uh you know direct people in their searches so if you put in mormon fundamentalism mine would come up um but yeah that that was primarily it was just word of mouth um yeah yeah that was it
0: interesting well i hope you've enjoyed the podcast i certainly have i think we had a very needed conversation and we need conversations like this in spite of maybe we may have differences on polygamy but we need this conversation because i think that there's more than one way to look at things and gosh i learned a lot tonight even though i'm not a polygamist i learned a lot and uh i let's see trying to trying to stop this recorder here. Okay, here we go. Anyway, folks, I think we had a very needed conversation. I've wanted to have this for a long time now, and I will talk to you later, folks.